time if I ever preach. I said, well, we don't want to waste all that effort, you know. But uh, he's been talking to you about uh, the Holy Night and the preparation or the orchestration of moving to that Holy Night. And uh, <clears throat> I hope you've had a, a Christmas that was focused on Christ. Uh, we give gifts, uh, you know, uh, we get up on Christmas morning, there's such excitement, we gather together with family, nothing wrong with all of that, uh, as has already been said by somebody that, you know, the wise men came and they gave gifts to Jesus, and so maybe that's where the tradition of giving gifts to other people came from, I don't know, but it is a nice thing, and so however you celebrated Christmas is, is okay with me, uh, uh, whether you put up big trees or you didn't have a tree or you gave gifts, you didn't, that's okay. As long as you recognize that it's really, it's really about the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. So orchestrating a holy night was the product of many years of preparation. It was the combination of many events, the willingness and <clears throat> Uh, of each character along the way, and determination to, be, to finish the task ahead. All the characters that play into the Christmas story had a part to play. And if you hear nothing else this morning, please hear that. Every character, whether it was a prophet 700 years before, or whether it was Joseph who had to accept his new bride, uh, what we would call tainted, but upon the word of the angel, recognizing that it was a holy uh, thing of God, accepted his new bride, a young teenage girl who accepted the maybe the gossip of the town and, and the thoughts of the people and, and yet fulfilled her obligation to, uh, to bear the... the uh, holy child and to birth that child uh, or it was uh, the, the shepherds who immediately obeyed the wise men who uh, traveled so far and gave such an expense uh, whether it was Simeon or Anna or whomever it was every one of the characters in the Christmas story is important every character in this church is important Every character, every member of this church has a part to play in the ultimate redemption of man in our time. I want you to, I want you to understand that. Whether it's at a garage on a Tuesday afternoon, whether it's in your factory on a Monday morning, or it's in your home late at night. You've got a part to play in the redemption of mankind. Remember that. The preparation of Israel, of the parents of Jesus, the Roman nation, the shepherds, the wise men, lead us to the climactic finale of the Christmas story. The coming of the baby. And I wrote in my notes, baby in capital letters. 
I'm of the old school, and I write in my notes, Jesus or God or any reference to that, I capitalize it. So I'll know that it wasn't just any baby. It was Jesus, God's holy Son, come for the redemption of mankind. In Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, I don't think it'll be on the screen. I'm not, I don't think it will be. Can you get it up there? Luke 2, 4 through 7. No, okay. Well, I'll read it to you. You can, uh, I call it the anticlimactic ending of the Christmas story. As, you, as I read it, you'll understand why I say that. Joseph, don't put it up there. It'll be in the wrong translation anyway. All right. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child, so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. All the prophecy, all the angelic proclamations and everything else came down to a cattle stall on a cold winter's night. And a baby was born. That's what it all came down to. I want to tell you something. That was just the beginning of the story, wasn't it? I want to shout. Because I'm thinking about the resurrection. I'm thinking about when he hung on the cross for you and me. Now, I'm not, this is not in the sermon. That's just where my heart went. A simple little baby boy. Fulfilled his god called and given destiny. And you and I sit here this morning forgiven of our sins, waiting for the redemption of mankind when, he, when God says, Son, go get your brothers and sisters. Ooh, we ought to all shout a little bit on that. Because one of these days he's going to do that. I said in the first service, and I have to be careful because I don't know what I said in the first service, so I don't know what I'll say in this one. So uh, <clears throat> Henry is kind of was kind of like me in that way. I think I'm going to be alive when he does that. Henry thought he'd be alive, but he's already gone on, so he don't have to wait on that any longer, any. But one of these days, one of these days, the trumpet's going to sound. And we're going to be gone. All those who are looking and longing for his appearing are going to be gone in a twinkling of an eye. I better get back here, Hatton. The coming of the baby from Adam and Eve to the multiplied millions of babies born this past week. Born this past week. The way came to an end. I said, you know, our, our birth, our, we had three children, and the births were pretty simple to me. 
Do you notice the only ones laugh were women? That's right. Nothing to it. I showed up out there about 9 o'clock that morning, and about two or three hours later, there was a sun, you know. Uh, and then two more did that, and it was no big deal to me. I thought the doctor did great and everything. But I realized Donna bore all the pain and that sort of thing. So, but there's a, there's a preparation that needs to be made before the baby gets here. But it's the same results. It's the same process for every baby. They're born. They come into this world. And Jesus came into this world exactly like every other baby does. We have the songs and we have the pictures in our mind of this sweet little baby. He just pops out and he lays in the manger and he's just so wonderful. Well, I'm going to tell you what, I don't know if the baby, the doctor really slaps the baby on the bottom to make them cry, but there's nothing more precious than that first cry of a baby. Because you know in that moment that that baby is healthy. That baby wants to live. That baby's getting rid of all that junk that's in their lungs. And they're expressing themselves. And don't ever apologize for a baby or a child being healthy. I like to see an energetic child. I like to see one that's trying their parents' patience. Now that's spoken from a grandparent's perspective. Why? Because that child has energy and strength. And yes, Jesus was just like all other babies. He cried, had to have his diaper changed. He had to go through all those things. Uh, he was just fully human, just like we were when we were that age. And yet, the other side of that was he was fully God. All at the same time. Now, that's not possible for us because we came a different way. We were conceived a different way. Mary was still a virgin when she bore her first son. The excitement, the preparation, the worry, and all the expectations came to one major climax. The cry of the healthy baby, but not without the pain of the birth process. The birth of Jesus was a normal process. Not a beautiful, peaceful, painless event. Jesus was born of a virgin, but in the same manner as all babies. He left heaven with all of its splendor to arrive in an animal style. That was Jesus. Fully God, yet fully man. He experienced life as any other boy of his day. He loved to play. I don't know what games he played, but I'm sure it was a simplest, simple little game, and he loved to go out in the yard and play in the street with all the other kids. He had friends, and I'm sure in that carpentry shop, he hit his finger a time or two. Aren't you? He cut a board wrong every once in a while and cut it, had to cut it again, and Dad kind of scolded him. He said, son, measure twice and cut once. Just like our dads or somebody taught us how to do something. He had to be taught. He didn't come into this world with supernatural knowledge. When he popped out of Mary, he said, Hey, I'm the Christ child, arrived on the scene. No. 
He just cried, grew up like a normal little boy. Now, throughout the process, and I'm not sure when he looked around and he understood who he was, but at the age of 12, he understood who he was. The amazing part is he never had to ask forgiveness. He wasn't born with that same nature that you and I were born with. That's why we had to come to an event where somebody was preaching or the Holy Spirit was using something somebody had said to us or like Roger, a a track had spoken to our hearts and we came to the event where we said, I'm a sinner and I can't help myself. I've got to be saved. And we came to Christ in humbleness of heart and and, uh, uh, spirit and we asked him to save us and he did. but he had a normal childhood. He had normal parents. He was perfect, but they weren't. Any perfect parents in here this morning? Raise your hand. You know the perfect parents in here this morning? You've never had children. I remember hearing about this man on uh, Focus on the Family one time, And uh, he was a nationally known speaker, and he'd written books. And he said, I wrote my first book before I had kids on how to raise kids. He said, I wrote my second book after I had kids on how to raise kids. I wrote my third book to nullify the first two when I had teenage kids. If you're a parent, you're not perfect. You will not raise your children perfect. But I can tell you this, you will influence in a great way who they become and what they put their faith in. If you raise them with a knowledge, dad makes a lot of money, he's got a secure job, I believe in America, an American way, then that's what they'll be. If you raise them, God believes in Jesus Christ as his hope and his salvation then that's what they'll be. Now, I don't mean that you don't get to heaven because your parents were, you, you come to a point to where you have to make a decision. But Mary and Joseph tried their best. In fact, uh, there's scripture that says in Luke 2, 39 through 40, it says, after they had done all that the law required, meaning they had taken him to the temple, they had had him uh, circumcised, they had had him dedicated, they had committed him to God, and they purposed in their heart that they were going to do their best to raise him to be a godly child. And that's what they wanted to do. But they were not perfect. In fact, at the age of 12, they lost him for three days. Anybody in here ever lost your child? I did. Not for three days, but just I took him to the hardware store with me and and forgot he was with me. I went to the back and and here comes Miss Ramsey carrying this little toddler boy and I look he looks familiar. <laughs> oh, she said, Did you lose something? I, yes, ma'am. Don't tell my wife. And she didn't know it for a long time after that. But but they lost him for three days. They didn't even know he was gone. They weren't perfect. 
and neither are we. Neither are you who have never had children. And you can tell your parents how you should have been raised, but wait till you get children of your own. And you'll go back and say, Mom, Dad, tell me something about raising children. As parents, we look for, for affirmation of how we're doing. Sometimes it doesn't come until they're 40. Sometimes it comes along the way as they become teenagers and you see them make a good decision. You see them take responsibility for what they've done or, or how they're, they're conducting themselves. But never forget that you and I, as parents or as grandparents or as older people, we have influence over them. When a, when a concert's going on or a, a people are performing, normally, now not in a church service, but uh, unless the Spirit really moves a group, and, but uh, you know, in the middle of a concert or something, every once in a while the orchestra or the singer or the music will be so good, and then at the end of that song, everybody will applaud. That was great. That doesn't mean it's over. It just means you did good on that one. Let's see what you can do on the next one. That's affirmation. And the singer takes a deeper breath and the people playing the musical instruments says, we're doing good, let's keep going. That's what we need as parents and as Christians. And that's what Jesus got. He got affirmation from the wise men. He got affirmation from the shepherds. He got affirmation from uh, healing the sick. He got affirmation from raising the dead. He got affirmation from uh, performing all sorts of miracles. And wouldn't it have been easy for him to say, okay, Father, that's enough. They know who I am. Uh, nobody can dispute it. Let's just end this thing right now. Wouldn't have been good for us, would it? We would have had no Redeemer. We would have had no, no Savior. But our salvation came down to the final event in Jesus' life on earth. Jesus' obedience to be our sacrifice. He never gave in to hunger, to rejection, to betrayal, or to pain. Imagine you hadn't had anything to eat for 40 days and 40 nights. And somebody came along with a hearty biscuit. Or your favorite food. What would you give in exchange for a morsel of bread after 40 days and 40 nights? Now some of you are saying, I didn't eat breakfast, don't talk about food, I'm ready to get it. We would think we would give almost anything, wouldn't we? But Jesus didn't. Because he knew that temptation was coming from the one who wanted to sidetrack God's plan of redemption. He knew that temptation was coming to him as a human. And as a, as a fully man. And you and I have temptations that come at us. He was tempted in all forms like we are. 
He was tempted in his attitude, his ambition. All the things that we hold dear, the relationship with people. You know, one of my biggest problems in ministry was wanting to be liked. I wanted people to like me. I still do. (laughs) And to tell someone, you're the cause your children are not in church today. Stood right out there in the parking lot. Told a man that one time. Good friend of mine. I said, your attitude, your lifestyle. And he's a good man. Honest, trustworthy, great guy. I said, you're the reason your children are not in church today. He didn't like me too much for a while after that. And that was hard for me. I don't want anybody mad at me. I don't want anybody crossing me. I want them to like me. And through the years, that was a problem. And don't you think Jesus, as he was walking, I mean, I healed these people, and they want to run me out of town. I I gave sight to this blind man, and now they're criticizing him for doing it on Sunday. What's wrong with these people? Don't you think he wanted to be liked? I picked 12. I picked 12 men. One of them's going to betray me. What that must have felt like. Sitting at that table with him. Sitting at that table with him and him acting like, oh, you're just the wonder, you're just the most wonderful thing and everything. Knowing in just a few minutes he's going to go out and for 30 pieces of silver he's going to sell me out. Don't you think Jesus wanted to be liked? Everybody rejected him for the most part. The pain of the cross was more than you and I could bear. And he knew that lay ahead for him. And he went to the garden and he prayed, if there's any other way, Father, let this cup pass from me. Jesus never quit. He carried out God's plan. His birth was orchestrated. His life was orchestrated. His death was orchestrated. And his resurrection was orchestrated. And when he left this earth and ascended to heaven, he said, your resurrection, your redemption, all of that's orchestrated. All you got to do is agree with it. All you got to do is accept it, and it's yours. You and I are called to follow his example. I won't say your life was orchestrated. I won't say Donna Loftus was the only girl I could have married and had a successful life. I think she was the one God wanted me to marry so that I could fulfill whatever he had for me to do. I really feel that way, but I don't don't think I came out of my mother's womb knowing that on December 30th, 
2023, I was going to be standing in this pulpit I, or in this place. I, I don't know that, but I do say this. God's got a place for you in His orchestra. And I don't care if it's just tinging those little tubes at the back of the orchestra pit or sitting first chair in the violin section up front. Whatever it is, I've already told you, you're important. And His orchestra will never be complete without you and I doing our part. You leave those little, whatever they're called, them little bells in the back of the orchestra, you leave them out and see how much you miss. You can hear it. You miss it. Oh, I didn't know they mattered so much. But God is saying to us this morning, you may sit first chair, or you may be way in the back, but you matter. Pastor James had in his sermon, Henry, as an illustration. Henry Cash, when I was a little boy, was in this church, in that old church over there. When I was a little boy, it was he and my dad were the only two men in this church. And through the years, many people have come and gone. None of them were able to live. And they're, they're not with us anymore, just like Henry's not. But Henry set a prime example of a man who felt the call of God to dedicate himself to serving in the church. And he did it admirably. And he finished his course, his race, with honor. And I think those things that have been said about him, his funeral, other things have been said, the wonderful uh, notes that Pastor James put in his letter last week. If you hadn't got one, you need to get one and read it. But I want to tell you, not everybody will serve like Henry. Not everybody's an out front, talkative kind of person like Henry was. But every person's important. Every person has their place to fill. Sis Green turned 100 this year, back in July. I remember when Sis Green was the treasurer of this church and served as a treasurer for many, many, many years. Valerie played that piano over there since she was 15 years old till just a few years ago. They weren't Henry's. Wayne Reynolds led the singing here at this church. The whole 20 years I was here as pastor, and many years before that, he wasn't a Henry. But he was faithful. I'm not taking away from one. I'm just saying and trying to help us see this morning. You may not sit first chair. You may not be up on the front of the platform. But wherever you are in God's orchestra, you're important. 
if you're a parent, I've got this challenge for you. Three, three things as we close. If you're a parent or a grandparent, will you lead by example? Will you not say the old saying, now you do as I say, don't do as I do? Or will you be an example of saying, as many of these people I've mentioned have been, you can follow me. You can do as I do because I'm going to remain faithful to God. I'm going to serve him till my dying day or till my mind won't allow me to anymore. And I'm going to make heaven my eternal home. Nothing, nothing will prevent that. If you're a parent, grandparent, or a person of influence over a younger person, you can make a positive difference in what that child grows up to be and most of all where that child spends eternity. Secondly, to the church members of this church, this is your regular church. This is where you call home. People say, where do you go to church? Graham Chapel. Where's your church? Graham Chapel. If that's you, I want to say this to you. Will the church of tomorrow benefit from your attitude today about the church? As a young pastor, I didn't recognize this, but as I longer I pastored, I understood this. I would hear people say, well, you know, those people over there at that church have some negative something to say about them. I'd say, well, now, where do you go to church? Oh, I go over there. But their church. I said, why do you go over there if it's not your church? Hmm. I'm not going to go somewhere I'm not a part of it. When I was a teenager, these people that can set the bench every game of every season and still be a winner, that's not me. If I'm not on the field, I'm not in the game. And you're in the game. God's calling you to be a part of this church. And you need to think, is this church better off of people like Henry Cash, Sis Green, Wayne Reynolds, you name other people? Is this church better off because they lived and this was their church? Well, ask yourself, will this church be better off because I'm a part of it? You need to ask yourself that question. And then attendee. Simply, this might be your first, second, fourth time you've ever been here. But you like it. And you're going to attend here. We'll become active. Make this your church. Don't look at it as their church. 
or where I go to church. Make this your church. There's no small instrument in an orchestra. There's no insignificant member of the orchestra. There's no small or insignificant member of God's church. Because God's church is how you, your family, and anybody else is going to get to heaven one day. God chose to use His church, and He never will stop using His church. The question this morning is, will you and I continue to the bitter end to be a member of God's church? Let's pray. Father, I look back over my life and I realize I was very imperfect in a lot of ways. But I thank you for never turning your back on me. I thank you for allowing me to be a small part in the orchestra that played the glorious news of the gospel. I pray this morning that we will each one recognize that our life's not over yet. If you give us breath to breathe, life to live one more day, May we use that day and that breath effectively to make sure that nobody around us lives and dies without realizing what a wonderful baby was born on that holy night. What he grew up to be, what he died to do, and where he awaits for all of us who will accept him today. I ask you, Lord, to put energy behind us. May we remember those who have gone on before, but may we accept our roles today and fight the good fight and keep the faith and receive the crown at the end of our existence here on earth. We love you, we praise you, and we want to live to honor you each and every day. For it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you.